0: This morning, going through Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. Luke chapter 7 says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and a point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not too far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And this is a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Father, my mine, and I believe the desire of your people. Just thinking earlier, Father, as we were singing, that hymn by the Gettys. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love, in our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. And Father, that is our prayer here this morning. We don't want... I don't want my words to be what sticks. Let it be your word that remains. Everything else, let it be chaff that you blow away. But let it be your word that remains and not just remains in the heart of your people, but let it be your word that is applied by your people. Father, I ask, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, doesn't matter the age, age is not an impediment to you, Father. But wherever they are, young or old, may they, as they hear Christ, as they hear what he did, may they be convicted of their sin. May they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus here this morning. May your people do the same. Father, may there never be a moment where your people are trusting in themselves. But may your people always be found trusting in you. In Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Friend. And the one through whom we lift our prayers to you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we come to you. Amen. Um, there's a TV show that uh, we watched quite some time ago. I mean, I don't watch it as much anymore, but perhaps a lot of you might be familiar with it. It's called Undercover Boss. You guys kind of know what that's in. It could be a, a tearjerker uh, oftentimes. But if you know the premise of the show, for those of you that haven't watched it, and, is you have these bosses and companies and big companies, sometimes franchises, and they send these bosses disguised. And the reason is that they send them disguised is because they go to maybe a particular franchise, wherever it is, maybe a particular office, and they get into the nitty-gritty of the operations because they want to know, because sometimes you know that executives can be very far removed from the uh, daily operations of a company. And so they go disguised and and they may and nobody knows and they come in as trainees and then they'll learn different facets of the of the business right and they see how things are being done how things are being run and long story short basically the at the end as they interact with these people and they're shadowing these different people supervisors managers they get to know them they have conversations and you'll hear that you know this person is you know working the, this job because they're trying to pay for school or maybe they have a a very sick family member, and they're doing this to get the means by which to pay for their treatment, or whatever it might be. And, and you hear these stories, and at the end, when they reveal themselves, they sit down with each one individually that they shadowed. And you see, and you hear this story, and all of a sudden, when they reveal, like, wait, that was you? Yes, I'm such and such. I'm the CFO, I'm the CEO, I'm whatever. And then, based on what they've seen, and the internet, they might give them, you know, money for their tuition, whatever it is that their need was at that moment. Um, and that story, why do I tell you, is because many times, it, it, as you're watching that, I don't think, every, it, many people come across as like, man, I can see that, that person deserves it. That person deserves for for the boss to do that. And you kind of think, and the person, and maybe the manager that wasn't so good, that was hurting the business actually, you know, they'll you know, maybe give them extra training, they don't give them as much, a bonus, or whatever. But the point is, is that we tend to see that that person deserved it. And here this morning, we encounter in the text, in Luke chapter 7, which, by the way, Matthew also writes about this particular interaction, the centurion. Matthew's a little bit brief, a little bit more brief, actually, than what you see here. But if you're familiar with the two stories, they're the same. And here, Jesus is going to Capernaum, and he is met by this centurion. And as we read here this morning, we're going to see a couple of things from the centurion. And the first point that as we read, we see this centurion, that this is not your typical centurion. He's not your typical centurion. Why do I say that? Well, a centurion, it's not the first time we encounter a centurion in scripture. We've seen other centurions. We'll see that in a second. But it's not your typical centurion because typically your centurion, one who is in charge of over, of not over, but about 100 soldiers in the army, right? That's why they're called centurion century or 100. And the centurion is there in charge of, of these soldiers. And they really don't have much to do with Israel. I mean, they're there, they're present. But this particular centurion is a little bit different. There's another centurion that we also read about in in Acts when we were going through Acts, if you remember, by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius, who was also a centurion in charge of a hundred soldiers, this is what Luke writes in, in Acts chapter 10, says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God, with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So just like Cornelius was also not typical, this centurion is also the same. We don't know his name. But it seems that this centurion is a God-fearer just like Cornelius. We can, we can deduce that from the, from the text, Right? How do we know that? Because in verses 4 and 5, look what the Jews, the elders of the Jews, by the way, what they say to Jesus about this centurion. What do they say? This guy, he loves our nation. He even built us a synagogue. So he's esteemed by the Jews for doing what he has done. And very likely, by the way, this synagogue that was built was probably paid for by him out of his own pocket. This wasn't something that Rome, the the Roman Empire, financed uh, for the Jews. No, no, no. This was, chances are that this, and so in many ways, this kind of indicates that perhaps he was a proselyte, one that had come to know to fear God, the God of the Jews. And so he's doing these things for them because he loves them. He fears the God of Israel. At least that's what it seems to be from the text. And so the Jewish elders are fully aware that this is the case, right? And notice, as they say this, and I just mentioned what they said to Jesus, but there's something very interesting that they say to Jesus, that Luke writes. He says, they pleaded with Jesus on his behalf. Now, what was the plea? The plea is, this centurion, he is worthy of, To have you do this for him in other words this guy deserves that you do whatever we're about to ask you that you do this you heal his servant he deserves it that word worthy is very interesting because if you really think about it human logic tells us oftentimes you do good things for God and his people and or his people you deserve God's blessings you deserve his mercy. You deserve his forgiveness. We as believers tend to bring that with us. That's part of the baggage that we carry. That if I attend service on, on Sunday, that if I go to Bible studies, if I read my Bible faithfully, God, you, you owe me a little sum, right? That's human logic, though. God's logic is actually to the contrary. God's logic, if you read Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 7, a familiar part, says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. That's usually where we stop. Right? All our deeds are like filthy rags. But if you continue what, what, what Isaiah continues writing, he says, We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. In other words, the fact that you are doing, that you are gathering with God's people on Sunday, what we heard last Sunday, right? Do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. The fact that you are reading God's word. Good. Keep going. But that, beloved, is not the requirement for God to owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. And we're going to see what this actually means. in a a second. But that is precisely what's happening here. These Jews, these elders are coming to Jesus saying, this man is worthy. He deserves this, that you do this for him. Because he loves our nation, because he has built us a synagogue, it's evident in his actions. So my question to you, beloved, here this morning, as you reflect, as you have some introspection, some retrospection, however you want to say it, some reflection... Which logic are you basing your life in? Are you using human logic? Or are you using God's logic? What, Who are you siding with? Are you siding with the elders of the Jews? Forget he is worthy, but instead you put in your name and say, I am worthy, I deserve this. Or are you siding with the scriptures that say, at the end of the day, our best works are posited garments before the Lord. There's nothing that I can do to gain his favor. Because if there was, I would have done it, and it would have been enough. And then that would have kept Christ from having to come to earth and pay for my sins, right? But that is not the way history played out. Christ did come, and he ended up going to the cross, as we will see. So we see this is not your typical centurion. How else is he not typical? Well, he's a compassionate centurion. Verse 3 tells us he's compassionate. He's caring for his servant. And by the way, the servant, the word there is the doulas, that slave, that word for slave. He is the one that is indebted to this particular um, centurion. So if you think about this, this means that this particular Um, They really has no... This servant has no... I mean, why should this guy really take care of him? Why, Why should he be pleading for him? He's just another one, right? Just another servant, one of many more. But this centurion is compassionate toward him. And so that's why it's an interesting one. It says that he values his servant. He values him. The centurion values him. We are not told why he values him. We're just told that he does. And this leads... The, the elders to mention this. And that's the heart of, the compa- of compassion that this centurion has towards his servant. See, the centurion, knowing that this servant is at the point of his death, could have simply said, you know what, let's try to make this death as less painful as possible, as painless as possible, if I could put it that way. Let's just kind of give him some hospice care, let him go, let him make it easy for him. But that is not what the centurion does. The centurion goes out of his way to get the elders of the Jews go to Jesus. Go to him. And ask him to come to my house. Ask him to come heal my servant. That is what the centurion is doing and has done. Now, how did the centurion know about Jesus? Well, there's a, another Particular story that John documents in John chapter 3, right after the, the woman at, um, there in, at the well. And, and it says this official son who sometimes people can, and I get it, some people think it's the same story. I don't particularly think it's the same story because there's an official who also has his son who's at the point of death. And it was also in Capernaum, that particular story in John. And so Jesus heals this particular boy. And perhaps this centurion had heard of this and now knows there's this guy, Jesus. Go to him. What's striking is the level of compassion that the centurion has for his for his servant, for his slave. We know here at Cornerstone we have some some members that are that are executives, that are managers, that are supervisors. They have executive positions. They have the right to hire and fire. And I have sat with some of them who've had to fire people and hear it in their voice, the level of concern that the fact that they have to, I have to let 20 people go just before Christmas. Some of them, I'm in particular is having a deal with that weight at this very moment. And you hear the level of concern to the point where you hear this, this brother say, you know what, I'd rather have them let me go if that means that they can keep theirs. Because there's something very striking when, when compassion, when you understand the compassion of Christ, you understand that you don't get to go on a power trip. I'm the boss and I tell you, you know what, get out. You can. And people won't question you. You have the authority. But when all of a sudden you realize, these are people. This is this the centurion's servant. And he's caring for him. And he has and he's not obligated to, but he is. You love it. That compassion is what we must have as believers. As children of God, we should never just see another person on the other side if you've been given that opportunity to just see them as a number. I know we go into our companies uh, talking with a brother, you know what, yeah, and yeah, you know what, in huge corporations, it's true. (laughs) You'll, You'll die, you'll pass, and somebody else, they'll be interviewing within a day's time, a week's time, for somebody to fill your position. It happens, but we as people, as children of God, who have seen and tasted and experienced the compassion of Jesus, should never, ever see other people the same way. The fact that my company may view me the same way doesn't mean that I ought to see that person the same way, because compassion is a must for God's people. And this centurion, I don't know if he's a believer or not, will We'll see. We'll see as we, as we get closer to the end, but the point is that he's having that compassion which is, resembles the heart of Christ. Mm-hmm. See, we may not be able to send people directly to go see Jesus physically, but guess what we can do? We can go on their behalf and approach the throne of grace. And we can lift them up in prayer and say, Father, be with this family. Even in this darkest moment, in this darkest hour of their family, be with them, and pray for them. And we can do that confidently. And so we see not just that he's, a, he, he's an atypical centurion, right? He's not your typical centurion. Not only is he a compassionate centurion, but we also see he's a humbled centurion. He says, Lord, which in reality says the Kyrios, right? Master, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you under my roof. Wait a second. You mean to tell me was he confused? Like, so the, the, the Jews, the elders are saying, this guy is worthy. But he is saying, wait, I'm not worthy. Don't get it wrong, Jesus. I'm not worthy. You know, the reason it seems to be that he says that is that there's, be, there's a real self-awareness. There's a real self-awareness that this centurion has about himself. To have that self-awareness requires humility. The fact that you are aware, see, you can be aware of who you are, but that awareness, there's, there, you can, there's a, put it this way, there's a wrong awareness and there's a right awareness. A wrong awareness is one that believes I deserve, I'm entitled to X, Y, and Z. I do this for God I do that for God, I, I preach, I, I, I'm here laboring, I'm, I'm doing, I'm getting my hands dirty. God, I deserve a little, a little pat on the back, don't I? Or to the contrary, a right self-awareness that recognizes that I am unable. I can't stand up here unless the Lord fills my lungs with air, unless the Lord keeps my heart beating, unless he keeps the blood running through my, through my veins. I don't stand up here. I don't even wake up this morning. So the fact that I'm up here is by His grace. The fact that you're sitting here in your chairs listening this morning is by God's grace. You could be anywhere else, but you're here. It's His grace. But you have to understand that, our, that we are frail the same way this centurion had to understand the same thing. See, he understands now that he's impotent. He's not potent. He's impotent. I don't have the power to do anything at this point. That's why I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I know who I am. Beloved, there's something that I oftentimes say we need to be a broken people. And brokenness begins with this humility, understanding who you are in light of God. Until you are broken you will never realize your need for Christ. That is why we need to be a broken people reaching other broken people. Because there's a lot of broken people out there. And we know the one that can put us back together. But until I myself am broken, I'm always going to go around life thinking I deserve something from God. And I don't. That word worthy, is the same word that the prodigal in that parable that Jesus says in Luke 15. I'll read it to you. Luke 15, verse 21. The prodigal son says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is the same word. That's in turn is saying, I'm not worthy at all. I don't deserve anything. Not because I built the synagogue for Israel. Not because I love the nation. That means nothing. I am not worthy, period. But the centurion's self-awareness was not an impediment for Jesus, was it? That humility, it was a springboard to his faith. It was the one that he used To launch himself into that faith. To understand. But because he doesn't end there. He doesn't say, I'm not worthy, period. He says, I am not worthy. But say the word. Just say it. That's enough. If you just say the word and let my servant be healed. You know, but I wish I had that faith. You know, sometimes we, because we pride ourselves in our theology. And we look on the other end of the spectrum. We say, "Oh, then you have the Pentecostals on that side, and everything is you know." You have know, it. Our theology should drive us to have that kind of faith. Yeah. Our theology, our doctrine. What else is it for? If at the end of the day, all I'm going to say is, "Well, but Lord, if you will it, yes, if you will it, but heal, but heal, save." I know some of you have family members you're still praying for. Keep praying. Because the Lord can save them. There's people that I wish could be sitting here listening to his word. But the Lord hasn't chosen the time yet. I don't know the rhyme or the reason, but I trust that he does. The centurion is is completely aware of his unworthiness. And he's also aware at the same time of the power of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the eternal Word, according to John. He is the eternal Word made flesh. He is now the incarnate Word. That is why we can say, Lord, just say it. Paul says it there in the Areopagus, quoting the very philosophers of the Greeks. He says, What? In whom it is Jesus in whom we live and move and have our being, when you understand that Jesus, that God created everything. this was Augustine's point, right? That divine imperative, that with the very breath of his mouth, he created everything. There wasn't existing matter that God grabbed and used and then started shaping. No. Out of nothing, He created. The only thing that existed was He Himself. Because He's eternal. He's all existing. And out of Him, He spoke everything into this. And if that is the case, then guess what? You can also speak and say the word and my servant will be healed. Beloved, you don't have to be a biblical scholar, much less a theologian, to have... Right self-awareness and to simultaneously know the one who created you and sustains you. You don't need if you're thinking that you need to, that somehow a Bible college or some seminary is going to teach you, beloved. Save your money. Save your money, because it is. You a child can understand this. A child can understand that I don't deserve anything. And yet, you created me, you fearfully and wonderfully made me, and you sustained me this very moment. I love what Spurgeon says. He says this, he says, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, because all you need to have is this, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, right? A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. There's a contrast. You don't need to have this great faith to make it to heaven. Size of a mustard seed. Very, 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 very little. But a great faith allows you to experience heaven, allows you to experience God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness in the most darkest of times. That beloved is worth noting. So if you think at some level, I have to study more, know the Bible, read my Bible a little more, yes, read it. Read your Bible. Keep going. Don't stop. But know this truth. Know who you are in light of a holy God. Let that be your springboard to now realize that you don't deserve anything, but God sustains me. He created me. Lord, what do you require of me? And point four, authority contrasted. There's an authority that's contrasted here that the centurion points to. There's a, what's the contrast? It's that human authority versus divine authority, verse 8, right? See, the centurion is aware that he is in charge of 100 soldiers. That's not news. But what the centurion also is aware of is the fact that I tell these guys what to do, and they do it. I tell them to go and they listen to me. They don't, they don't refute me. They don't buck. Go, they go. Come, they come. Do that, they do it. So Jesus, he says, I understand. <laughs> they, I have authority, so I understand a little bit of authority because I'm one under authority. But here's where the contrast comes in, right? See, the centurion's power is limited. The centurion is aware that now, as much as all the power that he has, this power is not enough to heal this dying servant of his. His power has reached its end. And this is where Jesus' divine power and authority comes in. Because there's one that has power and authority over life and death. And that's Jesus. And so now you can come to him the same way the centurion came to him. Because he is the creator. He is the one who created everything. His power is not limited. His power is limitless. It's unlimited. He, Jesus is not limited to the powers or the laws of physics and science. Jesus, as the creator, God, he is, he is not limited to Quantum, to the laws of quantum physics, he's not limited to the, to the laws of astrophysics. He's not limited to that of biology. He's not limited to, the, to, to microbiology. He's not limited to any of that. We have seen in Scripture that Jesus can raise people from the dead. When biology and science tells you, there's nothing else we can do great Jesus do what only you can do and it's very different if you notice because when Lazarus right there you see when he says oh Jesus if you had been here he wouldn't have died the centurion says you don't need to be here because you can speak it and it can be done you see the contrast jesus has divine power beloved jesus is fully god and he is fully man what is impossible for man is possible with god is that right that's what scripture says and jesus has done many miraculous things hasn't he so what does that tell you based on those two premises if, Jesus, if, if, if God can only do impossible things, only God can do impossible things, and Jesus is doing impossible things, what does that make Jesus? He's God. That's the logic of Scripture. Because He's fully God and fully man, His authority prevails over human authority. His authority will always be above any human authority. And finally, Jesus' response to the To the centurion's faith verses 9 and 10 says jesus marveled at him i tell you not even in israel have i found such faith matthew actually goes on and describes it you know (laughs) a little bit more in depth but the point the point is is that there's no one in israel in other words jesus is saying there's no one that i can think of at this very moment that I can say, oh, but maybe Moses? Abraham, Abraham? There's no one in all of Israel that's had this kind of faith. The word is, it was we were dealing with Sunday school, we were going over Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus calming the storm, and there the disciples panicking, and Jesus, wake up, you know, the storms are raging. And it says that the disciples, after Jesus tells them, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? And he stands up, and he calms the storms, and, and he calms the raging sea. It says that the disciples marveled at what Jesus did. They were awestruck. They were astonished. That's the same word that Luke is using to describe Jesus marveling at the faith of the centurion. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? The woman, and, and, and it's important that, it, that we understand because it's very few times in Scripture that we read when Jesus gives a commendation. Look for them. How many times does Jesus give a commendation? He's not into giving false praise, by the way. He's not even into saying, oh, yeah, good job, you know, just because he wants to motivate him a little bit, and so he'll... No, he doesn't do that. Let me give you an an instance. The woman in Matthew 26, the one that comes and pours... um, They're in the leper's home and pours that ointment, that expensive ointment over Jesus' head. And what does Jesus say about her? That wherever this gospel is told, so will her story be told as well. See, she was pouring that ointment over his head preparing him for the, uh, for the burial. And Jesus commends her for what she had done. What about Mary and Martha? right? One busy serving, the other one sitting at the feet of Jesus and say, this one right here chose what is right, to listen. And here you see another commendation. In all of Israel, I have not seen such faith. I can only think of <laughs> me somehow doing some soccer skills or whatever, and Messi standing right there, and Messi looking at me he's like, whoa. That guy right there. Do you think I'm going to impress somebody like Messi? Even in the basketball terms, because I know you like Kobe. and I'm pointing to uh, to That's his, uh but we know Kobe is an imitation of Jordan. But one of the things that, but even Jordan would say, hey, Kobe's Kobe's one of the best. Kobe is one of the best. Right? Yeah, but then he gets a caveat because he copied all of my moves. Because it's hard even for Jordan to be impressed with Kobe. And these guys are playing at least. And no one can deny that I know you and I have talked, and I can recognize Kobe is is up there, number two. But (laughs) the point is, is that imagine Jordan being marveled in these guys. But here Jesus, the creator of all the universe, he marvels at the faith of this centurion. Nothing like it have I seen before. The conclusion to this passage, beloved, is that yes, the centurion is completely aware of his unworthiness and that Unworthiness becomes a launching pad. That humility becomes a launching pad to his faith. Hopefully, I get to see this centurion in heaven. I don't know because scripture doesn't say whether he is. I know some people believe, yeah, he's got to be a, a believer, right? I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus was astonished with this man's faith. And this man, and Jesus heals his servant. Jesus heals the servant. The display of compassion, the display of humility that this centurion had that had m- people plead on his behalf to Jesus, this guy is worthy. But when you take a step back, then you think, Jesus didn't have anybody to plead for him. This is the gospel, beloved. This guy's faith had Jesus heal this man. But when it came to Jesus going to the cross, there was no amount of pleading that can have him circumvent the cross. He didn't have anybody to say, Hey, but this guy... Pontius Pilate tried. I don't find any fault in him, but he was still going. Jesus himself, Father, there's any, if there's anything, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be your will, not mine. And guess what? The cup didn't pass. He drank to the last drop of that bitter cup of God's wrath for us. beloved this is the savior that we have this is the Christ that you have come to believe in and this is the one that you ought to cast yourself upon every moment that you get a chance to do so because he himself took upon himself our sin he took my sin and your sin and he took it to the cross and paid it in full Even, remember when he was being tempted, what did Satan say? Throw yourself. God will send his legion of angels. God didn't send a single angel to rescue him from that cross. Not one. He endured all of it. And not just the cross, but everything before it. For what? For those that would believe in his name. And that is the Christ that I bring to you this morning. Come to Him. If you are not in Christ, come to Him. Don't wait until the next opportunity. Maybe next Sunday. Let me figure some things out. No. Let the dead go bury the dead. I mean, excuse me, let let, let them bury the dead, right? But as for you, if you know the truth, you come to Him. You heard the gospel this morning. Don't hold back. Cast yourself to him. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. All you need to know is that if in your sin you die, you perish dead in your trespasses, that is it. On that day, you don't get an extra shot. You don't get an extra try. You don't get a remake. You don't get a redo. But here, if you come to him by faith, with a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise that person. He will not turn you away. So come to him. And believer, this is not just for the unbeliever. This is for you as well. Because we tend to think this is just, oh, for those that that haven't trusted Christ. But I have problems trusting Christ every day. I have issues trusting Jesus. And I suspect that you do as well. So come to Him. Come to Him once again. Be reminded once again of what Christ has done. And it's because He paid it on the cross. We know the grave didn't keep Him. He rose. And this very moment, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people. Let that, beloved, be a great comfort to you this morning as we partake of communion, as we continue in song, as we continue in fellowship. Let that produce in you an inexpressible joy that Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. Amen. Father, do what only you can do. You know the souls here. You know the ones that are that are struggling, the ones that are questioning. You even know the ones of your people that are walking and 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 trying to find the hole in the fence. The ones that are playing with fire. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you remind us in your word that there's not one, there's no one that can pluck your people out of your hand. As much as we try to um, wiggle our way out, Lord, you have us. So I ask now, magnify yourself in the heart of your people. Enlarge our hearts to sing your praise to honor your name. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that you humble them. That they would finally understand and see who they are in light of a holy God. But that they can also know that if they come to Jesus, though they die, they will live. That they don't have to perish in their sin. That there is hope and his name is Jesus. May they come to him May all of us come to you once again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.